This episode of Harmonious Gentlemen is brought to you by Blind Men Brewing, lovers of central Alberta and crafters of delicious beer. Say hi to Dave. He's kind of important, too. of podcast episodes were the number of years between the signing of the U.S. Declaration of Independence and the Battle of Gettysburg, immortalized in Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address when he said, four score and seven years ago, you'd know this has to be episode 87 of The Harmonious Gentleman. I'm Chris. I'm Tyler. And I'm Graham. Nice. I'm glad it's you. Hey, you guys. We are on location. Yeah. And I am busting. <laughs> I'm busting, Tyler. You're Where busting. are we, man? Uh, we're in Calgary, the yeah, city of the, Calgary. The city of Calgary. It's yeah. a city. Yeah. Right downtown. Made famous lately by The Last of Us. Yeah. Right. And my recommendations a few episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, why are we in Calgary True. and why are we going to keep this intro short? We're keeping it short because we have a guest that we've been waiting 14 months to get a hold of. Uh, his name's Father, Reverend Father Christino Bouvet of the Calgary Parish. And we cannot wait to talk to him about... Among other things, reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. we we actually have already talked to him, so we're but we're super excited for you, our listener, to hear that conversation. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, it went really well. Yeah, just a wonderful, eloquent speaker. A lot of stuff to think about for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a topic that we've needed to or we've wanted to talk about for quite a long time. Yeah, and I think this will be a good conversation starter, something we'll come back to, and we hope for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey, before we jump into it, though, uh, we'll, let's just roll right into our recommendations just to get them sure. kind of done quickly here. Um, and we can have a theme, Calgary theme. Sure. I'm going to start. Um, on the way down here, our gear, we were trying to do some recording in the vehicle and realized that a part of our equipment was not working anymore. Yes. So we panicked and we went to Long and McQuaid and rented uh, an appropriate piece of equipment for the uh, recording. And it worked great. So shout out to and recommend Long and McQuaid. Wonderful music store. There's one in Red Deer. <laughs> Yeah, I think you've actually recommended them before. I think I have. This is a second recommendation, yeah. but they wow. deserve it. But they came through. They did. It was they quick, saved our, easy, cheap. It was awesome. They saved our bacon. And speaking of yeah. bacon, if you want to get it on a sandwich, go to South Block Barbecue and Brewing Company in Calgary. In the Mission area, I think Tyler said? I thought that's what the name of the neighborhood was. Uh, really good food. If you like pulled pork, uh, Philly cheesesteak. Oh, man. It was... Uh, capybara, or what was that one thing called? Pacayaca? I forget what it was called. Capoyapa or something. I forget. Anyway, they really have good. stuff with meat, and it's really good. And bourbon. Lots of bourbon yes. choices. All right. It's amazing. I can barely move, actually, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Uh, speaking of saving the best for last, <laughs> we're at Last Best Brewing, um, just a few blocks away from where we met with Father Cristino. Yeah, we're enjoying some pints of IPAs and um, weed ales. Right, Chris? Yeah, weed ale. Nice. Okay. It's, it's well, great cheers, atmosphere. gentlemen. Yeah, yeah awesome cheers. here. Um, enjoy the interview, and we will uh, actually we'll just see you next time, I suppose, because we did the whole thing with him, right? So yeah. it's all coming. Mm-hmm. So he even did a confession. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, stay tuned for the whole episode till hear a Catholic priest lead us through confessions. Right. All right. This harmonious conversation is brought to you by Fifty Twenty Four General Store. Bringing skateboards, fashion, and creativity to Central Alberta communities. Check them out online or in beautiful downtown Lacombe. 
We're pleased to be meeting with Father Cristino Bouvet. Cristino was born and raised in Alberta and is ordained for the Diocese of Calgary. He is currently the Vicar for Vocations and Young Adults. He helped to establish the St. Francis Xavier Chaplaincy for University Students in Calgary. Father Cristino recently worked with the Pope's Master of Liturgical Ceremonies to plan the Masses and prayer services for the Pope's visit to Canada to apologize to Indigenous communities for the way the Catholic Church joined efforts to uproot them from their traditional culture and spirituality. Today we're meeting at St. Mary's Parish in Calgary, Alberta, and we're thrilled to welcome the Reverend Father Cristino Bouvet to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. In your building. We're having you on the podcast, and we're here. Well, it's good. It's a a meeting of the minds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate that. You have multiple minds. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thanks. So it took some time to, um, you're busy, and um, we we heard you first on uh, CBC Radio Calgary. And I know that you're on other podcasts, and uh, your lectures are public, and, and there's lots of things out there with Reverend Christino Bouvet's uh, voice on it. So we're really thankful that your voice is here uh, with us today. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. It's an honor to have been invited. Do you want to start just by telling us a bit, we know a little bit about you, but I think our listeners probably want to hear just, I don't know, not start from the beginning, but how would you introduce yourself? Chris gave a very good introduction. Good job, Chris. Oh, yeah. But how would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, I, I don't want to take away from what Chris said because it was pretty comprehensive, but I think the reason that I have had the the recognition that I have in the last couple of years has been due to the fact that uh, although I am very happily an ordained Catholic priest, I also am of Indigenous heritage uh, through my father's side. Uh, his father was Métis and his mother was of mixed Aboriginal origins, but predominantly Cree from the Saddle Lake First Nation, northeast of Edmonton. Uh, She spent 12 years in the residential school. Hmm. She received her entire formal education at the Edmonton Indian Residential School for Girls, operated by the United Church of Canada. And so because of that history, I think I have been regarded as somewhat of a paradox, if you will. Mm. How could someone of Indigenous heritage with such an intimate connection to the infamous legacy of the residential school system uh, not only have found Christian faith, uh, but then even willing to give myself entirely over to uh, the Roman Catholic priesthood? Mm. And so I think that that paradox intrigues people or, or they wonder how to account for that or why that is. And so that is what I think has led to part of why I've been asked to participate in the things that I have or to uh, comment in the media on the things that I have. And that culminated last year in uh, being given, actually it was just about one week ago, uh, well, a year ago and now, so whatever that is, 53 weeks, that my bishop dropped the bomb on me that I was being asked to take on this role as the National Liturgical Coordinator for the Papal Visit to Canada. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know how you even react to something like that. I just sort of stared at him for a little bit and said, okay, we, well, we'll we see were, what we can do. We were a little offended that you postponed our episode for the Pope's visit. But yeah, you um, know, I don't have my priorities in order. That's, that is a problem that I'm working on. Right, right. Did you have any idea that might be asked of you uh, before you were asked? Was it on your radar at all? Not in the least. No? And partly, I hope I'm not going to get myself in hot water over this, but partly because I, I was personally not 
convinced that it was necessary or even ideal for the Pope to come. Uh, and I had expressed that uh, to the bishops uh, with whom I had any contact uh, throughout 2021. Uh, I was afraid that it could be perceived as, as merely reactionary to the uprising of the stories that were emerging at the media in the media at the time, and that the sincerity that I know the Pope would want to convey could be called into question mm. if it looked like, oh, now he's been strong-armed into coming and saying he's sorry. And so I, I just, I, I worried that that could happen. Uh, to the bishop's credit, uh, this you, you don't just bring the Pope over right. to a country. Right. They had been working on this for years, uh, unbeknownst to me, and it just so happened that the Kamloops uh, story and everything that was associated with the question around unmarked graves happened to emerge in the midst of their planning, most of which got held up significantly by the pandemic. And so the timing was such that they weren't going to back off of what they were trying to do, even though now it might have looked like it was being motivated by something mm. different than it was. So mm. given the fact that I had publicly suggested that this was a bad idea and we shouldn't ask the Pope to come, <laughs> I was surprised Shocked. when they turned around and said, no, we're still going to, and you're going to help. And wow. so, of course, that was a tremendous honor, and I swallowed my words and got to work. I'm assuming that it isn't typical or, um, like, does it happen very often that priests meet the Pope? Well... Numerically speaking, the number of priests that there are in the world and the occasions that they would have to meet the Pope, no, on that level, it's not. Now, every single day of the year, the Pope meets with some priests. Yeah, so sure. there, it's, it's kind of six of one and half a dozen of the other. It's not utterly unfathomable that a priest would meet the Pope, but it is entirely possible that a priest would go his entire life without meeting the mm -hmm. Pope. And I assumed I would be one of those. So right. mm -hmm. that did come as a, as quite a surprise to me. And so was that your full-time job for that time planning? Was that like that consumed your work? Um, I'm a guessing or what well, did that involve? It did consume <laughs> my entire life, except that I never really did leave behind my work here in Calgary. So I was traveling back and forth oh. to Edmonton multiple times a week. I, I think someone pointed out that even though I announced to my community of young adults who I shepherd, that this was happening and I was probably going to be away a lot. They said, oh, Father, we think you only missed like three Sunday masses. Wow. And I realized, oh, maybe you're right. But to me, I felt like I was gone all the time. I was always behind. Mm. I was never catching up with people's emails. <laughs> and it turned <laughs> we'll out you. that, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I needed a lot of forgiveness <laughs> at the end yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. It turned out that I was able to stay kind of on top of what mm. I ordinarily do, but almost all of my attention was being focused on the papal yeah. visit for those those five months. Would you be able to comment on, now that that visit has passed, you were reluctant or kind of opposed to the idea of it and then were involved in it. What's your reaction to it? Like, was it worth it? Was it effective? Was it harmful? Like, what was, what's your reaction to the visit? I, it really depends on what whoever is asking that question thought the visit should accomplish. Hmm. And so if someone thought that it should make uh, all Indigenous people now feel like they can move forward in their own healing and reconciliation, then, of course, it was a total failure. Right. Uh, now, I never thought that it could or should do that. 
because there is far more at play in the trauma and the woundedness that many Indigenous people continue to carry as a consequence of either directly being impacted by the residential school or knowing that their parents or grandparents had been than just the role the Catholic Church played in it. Mm -hmm. And so to imagine that an apology from the Pope on Canadian soil would somehow uh, serve the same need for all people is ridiculous. It wasn't possible. For those who might say that it could help those who are already along a process of healing to feel validated in their efforts at healing and in continuing that ongoing work in their own life, that I absolutely, I witnessed it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, the opportunities that it presented and what a blessing it was for me to be directly involved in tapping on the shoulders of various Indigenous people, especially a lot of the elders that I know and love, who I knew would be positively impacted by directly participating in the events that I was coordinating. And so to be able to let them know that I was inviting them to do that, them accept and go through all the hoops through security measures and federal protocols and Vatican protocols yeah. to be able to participate in that, to have their, their 10 seconds with the Pope and, and see the look in their eyes and know how important that was for mm -hmm. them. For me, if just that handful of people was impacted in that way, then sure, it was worth it. Yeah. So it really just depends on what you hoped and thought it would or could accomplish right. and then managing your expectations accordingly. Um, when you kind of see the news coverage of this, you, you'd hear about like the paved road or the Pope mobile or the giant crowds, right? Yeah. Can you give us a sense of like, what does a 10 second interaction look like with the Pope and an elder? Maybe what, what kind of goes on there? What can you describe that to us? Well, the first place that that, took, that that did happen was when he arrived in Canada. He got here on a Sunday afternoon, early in the afternoon. It was just after, just afternoon. Uh, but he had just been on a 10-hour flight, and he's 86 years old and <laughs> needs a wow. knee replacement. And I mean, he's in rough shape from a physical perspective. Mm. He needed to rest. So that means the very first thing he did in public, out and about with people was to visit Musquachis, the mm. reserve that we brought him right. to, the uh, Musquachis nation, specifically to Ermanskin. And in their little Catholic church there, we had a group of people assembled who would be the first indigenous people in the country to welcome him to mm. their land. Uh, and because of part of the work that I was doing, I couldn't physically be in there when that happened. I had to be on site where the main event would be taking place with the rest of the papal entourage. But... I heard afterwards that it was just such an intimate and private mm -hmm. encounter that I think it disarmed the Pope. I think he probably was quite nervous about what was he going to be facing. Uh, and when he was greeted with warmth and love and affection and appreciation that he was willing to come, I think that that probably helped him enter in all the more sincerely. Mm. And for them, uh, they, they came afterwards and then they were sitting behind me uh, in the bleachers when the event was was taking place, and I just turned back and said to a couple of them, "So," and then they just they just lit up. Mm -hmm. they said, he, he held my hand the whole time we talked. One of them said to me, and so mm -hmm. just those little like that's a ten second interaction, yeah. but she'll never forget that. Yeah, you know, it didn't make however many years of of suffering just disappear, but I think it pulled that all into a new context. 
did you get how many chances did you get one-on-one time did you get little conversations here and there or one you know it's funny you you, i guess you'd kind of think so i had been told to prepare for that or plan for that to happen yeah uh but it that just never materialized i I shook his hand once the the first time when he was arriving at commonwealth stadium for the mass i had arranged for everyone who was fulfilling a liturgical function uh in that mass Mm -hmm. to line up in the hallway where he was entering so that he could greet each of them and then I was just at the end of that line. And I think he just thought I was another altar boy or something. So he just right. shook my hand and then <laughs> moved on. Okay. Uh, but then at the Mass in Quebec City, again, I was presented with an opportunity to, to try and greet him. And it was a lot sh- briefer and, mm-hmm. and less uh, exhilarating than I had it built up in yeah, my mind. Yeah. But I mean, he was about to, he was tired. It was day five. He yeah. needed to say Mass. And so it wasn't. Uh, quite what I expected, but it was nevertheless a, a, a personal interaction with mm-hmm. the Pope, and yeah. so something I can't uh, forget. Yeah. So, how does who you are influence what you do? That's a good question, Chris. That's all typed up for me. That wasn't my idea, but it's a good question. So how does who you are influence what you do? I, I love that question because my background before theology was in philosophy, and I'm a, a strong believer in being, preceding, doing, you know, mm-hmm. that what we do flows from who we are. And for me, before I was an ordained a priest, I was the same man that I am now, and I never carefully considered what an impact the fact that I was a person of mixed ethnic origin, of particularly indigenous and then Italian ancestry, would ever play into what I might contribute towards in my priestly ministry. But imagine a scenario where you have a micro-state of the Vatican, whose official language is Italian, and planning a visit to a country where the interests of indigenous people must be represented and they only want to work with a priest and the bishops are scrolling through the Rolodex to see, (laughs) do we have an indigenous priest with a capability to speak Italian who has some reference to the residential school system? Oh, look at that. (laughs) My name popped out. Mm -hmm. And so that's who I am and I never imagined it would ever be able to be put in that context at the service of what I do as a priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, as a man of faith, to me, that's just the sign of God's providence at work that, you know, as as we read in the Psalms, before before you were born, I knew you, I knit you together in your mother's womb, as we read in Psalm 139. And to know that that was all part of the engineering process of what he knew was coming later, that I would only later discover, right? That's, That's that concept, I think, of, of what we can do flowing out of who we are uh, and why it's so important that who we are is redeemed then by Christ and, and brought to its fullest potential. So you, you belong to a number of different communities. And so is there ever, I'd assume, maybe I shouldn't assume, I'll just ask the question. Do you ever feel like people have expectations of you um, because you are Indigenous and then your perspective doesn't line up with what they expect it to be. A hundred percent. That was all of last year. <laughs> right. uh, you know, like yeah. 
there's there were indigenous people. I I remember, I I don't remember what the post was, but something that I was working on got shared on Facebook, and then there was a long string of comments underneath from indigenous people saying. This guy is a phony. He's not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. He's just using mm-hmm. his heritage to his advantage to benefit the church. Don't listen to him. And you know, it was hurtful to see that I would be regarded that way by my own people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, then I turn around and be sitting at a meeting with Vatican people who expected that as a priest I knew my place and I knew who I served and the interests that I needed to represent and. I'd be saying, well, look, no, we the, we do need the Pope to participate in this thing, and, and he does need to show interest in this because this matters to Indigenous people. And them sort of looking at you like, whose side are you really on here? Right. As if, uh. not to say that the Vatican expected anyone to be taking sides, right? Mm-hmm. But they have a format that they follow when they bring the Pope somewhere in the world. Right. And they expect to be able to just sort of download it and and make it happen again. And this was uh, utterly unique, what we were trying to accomplish mm. and the reason why he was being brought here. And I have to give them credit because in a short span of time, over many conversations, I really saw a transformation of their willingness to adjust and pivot mm. to meet what the needs yeah. were uniquely in this circumstance. But it was an interesting experience to often find myself in the middle of these two sides, as it were, quote right. unquote, mm-hmm. that each thought I may not be as committed to them as they thought I should be, given who I am. Right. Right. Whereas I was saying, I'm, I know who I am, and I'm committed to both of these equally. I love both of these equally, and this is these aren't sides to me. These are these are parts of a whole mm-hmm. that that need to be reconciled, which is precisely with the work that we were working on doing. Mm-hmm. That might have even been risky on the part of the Catholic Church to select you. So that's, that says something about steps towards reconciliation too, maybe. I think so, because by their typical standards, I don't fit any of the rest of their criteria. Right. I don't have any other formal training, particularly in, in liturgy. My Italian is passable, but I do not speak refined and fluent Italian that they, mm. I, I was often fighting for words and saying things in ways that I knew that was not how I wanted to say it, but it's just how it came out in the moment. Uh, there, there were elements of me that I'm sure were not what they would have been looking for. Uh, and yet they, they cooperated with me and mm-hmm. uh, were very encouraging. The papal master of ceremonies who I worked most closely with was very kind to me and and took personal interest in trying to understand what was going on here and why was any of this happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the idea of having two teams or two sides, and that's been a theme, well, in society, but on our podcast too, a lot of the issues that we, or the topics we bring up can be divided up that way, like side A and side B. And if our topic today is reconciliation, we're talking about a number of things, but if on that topic, if society is structured, there's kind of two sides to it. How would you articulate your position? It, like, maybe I can explain a little. I teach high school, and mm. when I when I talk about this issue, there's a, kind of the we need to move on, like from this idea of residential schools, mm-hmm. and then there's this other side is we need to do much much more than what's happening currently. Mm-hmm. 
are you in between those somewhere or are you, could you articulate that? I'm probably in between those. And the way I would articulate it is, I think I would say, we need to keep doing what we're doing with ever increasing conviction and generosity and love so that we can keep moving forward together. I worry about the way that this, well, there isn't a public discourse around this in our country. There is one way of understanding and interpreting the history and how everyone is supposed to feel about it. Uh, and that would get imposed upon me too, right. that I was supposed to feel a certain way. Uh, talk about feeling colonized, like as, as though I as an indigenous person didn't have the right opinion or the right perspective on something and some journalist from Eastern Canada of European descent is telling me that uh, shouldn't I be feeling like this or shouldn't I be feeling like that? Mm -hmm. That was not an uncommon experience uh, no. throughout the course of my media engagement last year. And I think that because of that lack of discourse, it causes the dichotomy. And, and mm -hmm. as in so many other areas and, and facets of society, we get polarized and you have to pick the side that you want to be associated with, whether you believe in it or not. Right. Uh, it, it's, it, it's all about optics. Uh, and I think that's where I can say as a person from inside the Catholic Church, we don't care how it looks. And we don't care how what we're doing is being interpreted. We care about the people that we're serving, some of whom are still painfully suffering and need to be accompanied in a certain way, while others, through a variety of things, and among them, their Catholic faith, have achieved a, a level of freedom and healing and peace in their own life that we hope serves as an inspiration and example to their other Indigenous brothers and sisters. And so there isn't a cookie-cutter solution Mm -hmm. And it's not enough to say you've fallen on the right side of the discourse. Hmm. Uh, this, is, this is the problem that we face in, I don't know what I, I might call it, maybe this sounds extreme, but like the Marxification of society in general, that everything's class warfare, everyone's got to pick a side, mm -hmm. and you're either a victim or you're an oppressor. And if you're an oppressor, as long as you identify as an oppressor, then, then good. But that doesn't do anything to lift people out of their victimization. It doesn't eliminate being oppressed. Uh, we have to have concrete action that accompanies recognizing someone is suffering. It's not enough to just pat yourself on the back for being on the right side of the issue because you've yeah. recognized that they're mm -hmm. suffering. Otherwise, the suffering just perpetuates. Mm, right. uh, but I feel better about myself. I can sleep with a clean conscience because I'm on the right side. I think... That's what we're working very hard within the Catholic Church to not fall into, is suggesting that as long as we condemn ourselves and flagellate ourselves enough, then we've done what we can. That's not true. There's so much more that can be done, mm -hmm. and we're committed to doing it. And in many ways, it's hidden work that's behind the scenes. It's in meetings and little parishes on reserves, and that's what we continue to strive after. It sounds like just, like you said, an actual discourse, actual nuanced conversations that you get to have as your role. 
right? That's like you're talking about the conversations that need to happen that aren't happening in the media. They're not happening online. Exactly. But you're doing those, you're having those conversations all the time. Have you, um, how do you feel about, how long have you been in your role at this church? Well, I've been a priest for almost 11 years, but I've only been working in in this area as intensely as I have for the last two years. Do you find that your your strategies or like, are you learning a lot as you go? The way you you view everything? Like, has that changed significantly in the last 10 years, how you view this issue? Yeah, I would say it it has. I think a turning point for me was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, When it was presented as being the extremely grave issue that it was, I was personally taken aback Mm. because I only experienced uh, or came into contact with this question through the lens of my kokum, my my Cree grandmother, who, as a remarkable woman, probably achieved a level of healing and freedom in her own life that that many don't or haven't. Mm -hmm. And so I can now say that that was perhaps misrepresentative of the vast majority, but it was all that I knew. And so then to be confronted by what I thought was being presented as this absolute catastrophe that we were in damage control mode of figuring out how were we going to respond to this catastrophe, it really caught me by surprise. And by then I'd been well into my priestly ministry and never could have imagined that I would be facing the kinds of tense situations that I later would be and have been now for the last couple of years with people still so painfully wounded by their either their perception of the Catholic Church or their personal experience of what they went through in the schools, particularly the ones administered by the Catholic Church, that it was shocking to me. And so it has tempered how I regard this and the realization that perhaps it's only after an adequate amount of time has passed that people are really sufficiently processing what they've been through or what they think their parents or grandparents went through that it's coming to the surface. And I think there was a time in my life when I would have been a lot more kind of casually dismissive of, like, why are we talking about this? Uh, I can see now why it's important that we are. But that means that we are talking about Mm -hmm. it and not listening to a a canned narrative that just gets set down on the table that everyone has to look at and feel the same way about. I wonder if your grandmother's experience gives you like hope or motivation that healing is possible or because of um, her experience and what she shared with you? Is there anything there that, like maybe that was through her faith or I'm not sure if she has one? She was a woman of deep faith. Yeah. uh, That she always said, my faith wasn't from the residential school. She was proudly uh, a descendant of three generations of Christian missionaries who were Aboriginal people. Hmm. Uh, her great-grandfather brought uh, reformed Christianity to Western Canadian indigenous people, the Reverend Henry Bird Steinauer. And he was an ordained minister for the Methodist Church, which would eventually be become part of the, the United Church of Canada, mm-hmm. and was fully Ojibwe. Hmm. Uh, English was not his first language. And yet... He studied at Upper Canada College in Toronto and was ordained, presumably as one of the, if not the first, 
Aboriginal men to be to receive ordained ministry in even still not confederated Canada in 1855 and make his way out west to preach the gospel. He helped translate the New Testament into Cree. That's her legacy. Wow, yeah. So her Christian faith was not an imposition from the residential school. That was who she was, speaking of doing, flowing from being. And so that, I'm sure, gave her a capacity to look at all of this in a different light, that maybe others weren't the beneficiaries of having that extra resource in bringing about healing and reconciliation in their own life to the extent that someone like my my grandmother was able. Hmm. Uh, So uh, my son lives and works in Kamloops. And of course, a couple of years ago, the devastating news of um, the discovery of, of graves um, around a residential school. I'm just wondering what your reaction was when you heard that or if you had thoughts about um, some of those things that are happening in Canada now. Yeah, I, I was on a, a personal silent retreat during that week. I think the news story broke on a Wednesday or Thursday and I didn't turn on my phone or my computer again until the Friday and so then, of course, when I did, it just blew up and everyone was yeah. asking me to comment on this. To, what did I think about this? Uh, what were my impressions? Was this true? How could this happen? Uh, was I okay? Like, and I, so I didn't know what was going on. And so I did a little bit of digging. And I was, immediately my reaction was to say, what have they done? And by they, I meant the media because the reportage was, I thought it was imprecise considering the gravity of what this could be interpreted to be. And specifically, now we talk about unmarked graves. In the initial uh, reporting that was coming out of Kamloops, we were being told that a mass grave had been found at the site of a former residential yeah, school right. run by the Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, you don't, in a post-Holocaust world, you don't hear the term mass grave and not think of a giant pit heaping with bodies of people who have been murdered mm-hmm. that just got buried over. I knew for a fact that was not what we were talking about here. And it that was for me the the thing that needed to be communicated was we are going to lose sight of what's actually gone wrong, what's actually happened if we start running down this rabbit hole of how could the Catholic Church have let these priests and nuns murder these children senselessly and just throw them in a pit? We wouldn't be asking relevant questions. People died at the residential school. Uh, There's no doubt about that. People had to be buried there were cemeteries. My great uncle, my grandmother's brother, died while at the residential school in the adjacent building to the girls' school. The boys' one was separate, obviously, in those days. And that was one of the traumatizing experiences of her whole time in the school, Mm -hmm. was the fact that she was informed that her brother was dying, but because he had scarlet fever, he was in quarantine, so she couldn't see him. But then they buried him without even letting her know. And she said only later did she get to go to see his grave. She never even got to be there when they buried him. But she went to see his grave. This is the point. Like, 
yes, perhaps there was some carelessness uh, shown in not having these plots adequately marked out, or maybe the grave markers weren't capable of lasting for very long because they were uh, made of wood and burned in grass fires or whatever. That happened at the cemetery in Muskwachis. And so there were too many nuances that weren't being talked about. And so this giant behemoth of an interpretive key just started descending on our country and it was it was stirring up in people emotions that are reckless to just let out like that and that was what really concerned me was that we were i was afraid that whomever these people the they could be were not taking into careful consideration the effects on the indigenous people whose wounds would be ripped open by this uh, re- reportage if the nuances weren't carefully being made. And then sure enough, that's exactly what we saw happen. Everything spiraled out of control and mm-hmm. within a couple of months, churches were burning down and no one wanted to say anything about that because everyone was too afraid to sound like they weren't falling in line with what was being reported. And so they, I thought it was a, a very tragic situation that could have had clearer explanations if proper questions would have been asked without a disproportionate degree of defensiveness around why the questions were being asked. And then real answers could have been ascertained. Right? If this is about finding missing children, then it's not irresponsible to be asking, okay, how do we identify who would be there? How many are there? Uh, what do we know about them? What remains can be tested, but anytime questions like that get brought up, it just gets turned into, oh, what, you don't believe that this happened? Are you a residential school denier? Mm. And so it's like this, there's a one way of thinking about this, and if you don't think that way, you're not on the right side, which goes back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, about having to pick these sides, and I, it's very harmful to the reconciliation process. So it, I'm hearing... Like you kind of calling for a, a a rational response to these kinds of things, not an end to these conversations. No, but just a little more rational, logical, measured, um, not unemotional, but a little less reactive. Right, right. Do you feel like I definitely when I hear that I I identify with what you said about people being afraid to express that type of an opinion for fear of being slotted onto the wrong team. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you, this goes back to Chris's question that he wrote and the question that Graham eloquently read uh, (laughs) about who you are affecting what you do. Do you feel like you have a bit of a immunity and because of who you are that you can express some of those more logical or measured responses? I hope that I do. Uh, the sad reality about the time we live in is uh, no one is beyond cancellation. Uh, but the joy of not caring whether you get canceled means <laughs> you don't have to worry about what you say. Uh, I, I do yeah. not fear the reprisals I could face. So no one ever wants to interview me on the media again? Great. I've got lots of other work to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get to become some 
uh, acclaimed figure in either Canadian public discourse or some renowned person in the Catholic Church, great, I, I couldn't care less. And so there's a freedom in having the conviction to ask questions that are perfectly rational questions mm -hmm. without being afraid that that will now land you on the wrong side of the story yeah. or put you on the wrong team for the sake of hoping that maybe some of these conversations might happen. Right. Uh, just a follow-up to that, institutionally, the Catholic Church is a giant, what's the word, organism, whatever, thing. Mm -hmm. Are you ever, do you ever, can you comment on the, are you ever on the wrong side of what the, you know, party line is there? Or do you ever find yourself pushing too far in that way where you can get, potentially get rep reprimanded? Oh, probably. I, I know that <laughs> I, I, I've taken some positions that I think, in, in a variety of ways, including during the pandemic, I had some concerns about lines being blurred that I thought were dangerous to be being blurred between government and the function of religion and society. I, I, I probably could have been in trouble over some of those things. I have already expressed my concern about the way in which we've talked about residential school legacy in this country and the Catholic Church's response to it. But I don't worry about a reprimand because it's either justified, in which case I'm grateful to have been corrected and I can do better at what I'm supposed to be doing, or it's unjustified and is issued because you look bad now or you've made us look bad now and I don't care about how things look if they're true. That's, that's what matters. And then you can be at peace. Now, that means there could be consequences to suffer for that and that's fine. I'm not afraid to bear with any consequences I would face. But at least in Canada, here, the, the bishops have been so supportive and, and so encouraging of, of me and have given me the latitude that I have had to try and have these conversations because I think, like you were mentioning, they are, they are afraid to undermine the work that they are doing so diligently and with such sincerity by misspeaking or, 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 or stepping into a minefield that they shouldn't have that if someone else is willing to, to comment on it who doesn't have as much to lose as, as they do considered how much, considering how much they are embroiled in that work of leading what we're doing in, in reconciliation, I'm happy to, to try and help bring that ball down the field and serve all of us. This is for everyone's sake. This is not to advance one side or the other. That's the point of reconciliation. The motto of the papal visit was walking together, that we are all advancing towards our destination together, albeit at different places along that movement. We Like sometimes in our last segment, we ask um, from a harmonious perspective, we could look and say, you know what, this work is being done by Father Cristino, so we don't have to do anything. Or the Catholic Church has got this. So I'm, I'm off the hook. But what would be things um, on a day-to-day -day basis that um, people can do, that I can do, to live a life that's more reconciliatory? Mm -hmm. The answer to that, I think, uh, is 
friendship. That has been my the, the main thrust of whatever I can say, wherever I have some platform to say it. We, we live in a time that has become so commodified. Everyone just shops for everything that they do, whether that be what show they watch on TV or what song they listen to or what food they order on Skip the Dishes. We just shop for everything. And I'm afraid we've even begun to shop for our friends. Hmm. And so from a distance, you hide behind a screen and evaluate someone who you think you might like to be involved with or get to know. That is not how human beings are meant to function. Hmm. We are social beings and we are meant to function by coming into contact with each other. That's what harmony is. Harmony is, yes, you can produce harmony uh, through the wonders of technology and lay tracks on top of each other that sound really great, but it's because you had to know in advance what they would sound like when they are laid on top of each other. But organic harmony, like when a choir sings in harmony, is when they're all together and then they just let those notes come into contact with each other. And if someone's off, you hear it and, and then you adjust and, hmm. and then you make it work. Uh, that's what it means to be human. And so no one is off the hook in the work of reconciliation in this country Indigenous or non-Indigenous, Catholic or non-Catholic, a public figure or private figure, no one is off the hook in trying to meet the, another person who's in front of them in friendship. Uh, and that's something that my, I think is one of the greatest legacies that my Kokum left was her engagement in something called the Friendship Center movement. And she was the executive director of uh, something called the Friendship Center in Rocky Mountain House for more than 20 years. And she remained on their board and one of their elders until the day she died. And the Friendship Centers are organizations in urban centers, big or small, that hope to provide resources to Indigenous people, but to help make contact for non-Indigenous people with Indigenous people, to show that yeah. if we're going to live among each other, then we, then we have to try and live harmoniously. Hmm. And that is something we can all participate in, something that we should all be able to do. And in Alberta, we are so blessed to never be that far of a drive away from uh, an Indian reserve and to be vulnerable as a non-Indigenous people to say, I want to go check out their powwow. I'm going to go stop at their gas station. I'm, I'm going to go talk to someone on the street who I can visibly see is an indigenous person and just meet them as a person. <laughs> That's how the work of reconciliation is going to be advanced. Not with billions of dollars from the federal government, not with endless apologies from big bureaucratic institutions like the Catholic church. It's going to come from people meeting each other in friendship and trying to walk together. Hmm. I don't think we've ever had an answer that good to our question about how can <laughs> no, we be harmonious no kidding. in this area. Oh, man. Well, just don't ask me to sing right now. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything we should have asked you that we didn't? People always ask me that question, and I never have an answer. <laughs> okay. I, I think that uh, 
if you're satisfied with our conversation, then I'm happy because that's what, that's why this is important. That's why the work that you do and the countless hours you probably put into your podcast really matter because it's facilitating people thinking, hearing mm-hmm. thoughts that they might not have thought to have and coming into contact with others that they otherwise wouldn't. So thank you. I appreciate what you do. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah. I, I do have one more question. Oh, oh here we go. Before we, if yeah. we are kind of wrapping up. Yeah. Before we started recording, you said you were surprised that none of us were Catholic. Can you explain why? <laughs> well, I've listened to some of your guys' <laughs> content and you talk about things. I've, I've heard you talk about the church. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you make reference to just the way in which we are called, even using the word called, to interact okay. with each other. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you're that you're non-Catholics if you're believers, but okay. I, I had a sense, because Catholicism is very much about logos, right? That's that Greek word for word in John's prologue that the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, that this principle of order in the universe became a man and walked among us and lived with us and taught us how to find our way to the Father. And so that means everything has to fit together somehow. It's one big giant puzzle, and if it's not all clicking together, then it doesn't work. And that's why I find Catholicism and, and Catholic theology so beautiful. And I sense in you and in your work and the podcast you're doing that you're trying to pull together things that maybe aren't clicking, but with a little bit more care and attention, mm. they can. And oh, so yeah. I really respect that. And I think you're doing a great job at it. Cool. Maybe sometimes Catholic takes time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, we're, maybe we are Catholic. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think that's good for today, gentlemen. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah more than good. Amazing. Thanks, Father Cristino. Thank you. Thank you. Father Christina, we have a segment at the end of our podcast that we've titled Confessions, where we Mm -hmm. think it's a harmonious practice to, um, sometimes it's just admitting something or getting something off our chest and then sharing that with each other. But from a Catholic perspective, can you actually tell us what the sacrament of confession is? Yeah, well, it ties in beautifully to what we're talking about because we generally refer to it as the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, And by that, we mean that it is a means by which we come back into uh, full communion with God that was disrupted because of our sin. And so we believe that uh, Christ, on the morning of his resurrection in John chapter 20, breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are retained. And so that was an invitation, not just for them to have the power to forgive sins, or as we would say, to absolve sins, but then to hear the sins of those who wished to be reconciled to the Father. And so our sacrament of reconciliation is precisely that people come into contact with us as priests under uh, strict confidentiality and confess what they believe have been sources of division in their heart, the things that have kept them from living out that communion with God that they desire. And so in bringing those forward as a priest, we just see ourselves as a conduit of God's grace in that moment and the absolution we provide 
is in his name and, and by his authority for them to be restored to that sense of, of union with God. And so I think it's beautiful that uh, we would, in your confession segment, talk about the sacrament of reconciliation after the conversation that we had. Mm-hmm. Well, having said all that, <laughs> Chris, do you want to... Con- well, like, <laughs> Should we do a confession? Sure. I have a rosy glow about me today because yesterday I went to the gym and the person who greeted me it was my birthday this week, so it must pop up on the computer. Ah. Like, hey, happy birthday. Do you want a free tan today? And I was like, oh, sure. So probably connected to my vanity, I agreed to go in the tanning booth. And I must have gone for too long because I woke up this morning all tingly. And my chest and back are this color of <laughs> Tyler's salmon shirt. So I'm not sure what my face is looking well, like right now. I didn't notice it's it like really a hot blush. <laughs> you know, there on. is a glow about yeah, you. Well, like Moses, you had to wear a veil when he came down from the encounter with God I haven't on been on the mountain. I have just was too long in the stand-up tanning booth. So vanity. Boy, now I can really see it. I'm I can't not see it to. now. <laughs> yeah. I'm it, probably it, blushing also, but you can't tell. Yeah, it just got redder and redder as you went. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so my confession, first of all... I, it was your birthday? That's uh, my big confession. Yeah. I didn't even nope. call you or say anything. That's awful. That's true. Did you, Tyler? Uh, Did we both miss it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's totally good. Okay, we're going to talk after this mm-hmm. about that. I did send something in the mail. I guess it just didn't get there. Yeah, it'll, it's we both did. <laughs> so my confession is um, uh, I'm really judgmental when people are on their phones in their car. Like, you know, you can see it all the time, texting, and I'm really, I really like get... Like if they're driving? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'll look out, and you can see it basically anytime you stop at a light. Mm-hmm. And I'm very judgmental. Uh, but uh, this week, um, I was running around in the morning doing dropping off with kids, and I, I needed to text somebody as I was driving, and I knew I hated doing it, but I did it. And I felt kind of like guilty as I did, and I was... Dream- but then, guess what I see? Lights behind me. Oh. And it's like, police. Ooh. So I'm like... I think I'm pretty good about it, and I'm very uh, hypocritical, I suppose. Uh, and he pulled me over. Really? Yeah. And my I told and my phone was out. I mean, I was. You couldn't I knew, chuck it under the seat or something. I definitely tried to. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely turned it off. I turned off the Bluetooth just so he could, and I and I put it under anyway. And he came up, and he was really young looking guy, and he looked pretty upset with me. And he, he remarked on my, I didn't pull over far enough, and he seemed really upset, and I, I just felt like you know that awful feeling. I've yeah. been pulled over in yeah. years. Uh, here it comes, and he's like, hey, your brake light is out. Just get that fixed. Have a good one. <laughs> and that was it. So he didn't know. And uh, my confession is that that's what I did, and he didn't notice. And that, so you that's got my away f- with it. That's for our, that show, Arrested Development, like, that was a freebie. That was my freebie. That was a freebie, yeah. Yeah, that's my freebie. Uh, is your confession that you didn't admit to him that you were on your I phone? I think I have all kinds of confessions here. Like, I tried to hide it. I was on my phone. I judge other people. I lied. <laughs> like, <laughs> See, a Catholic priest in the room, just it just draws out this thing called Catholic guilt. Oh, my goodness. Sense. I know. And I stole the new light bulb for the car later. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> But I did. I did uh, buy the new light bulb and replaced it that afternoon. I felt it was Heidi's car, so I felt like I should take care of that for her. <laughs> oh, I feel better. <laughs> See, there you go. There you go, Tyler. Okay, I have to. I'm going to be a little more vulnerable than my last few confessions mm. uh, for Jason because Jason calls me out on the. Mm-hmm. You can't just confess eating too much. Like we all eat too much. So this is uh, maybe a lack of action. I'm confessing to a lack of action and an inconsistency. Uh, because in the past I've talked about how I play beer league hockey and sometimes the language being used in the game or the dressing room, I disagree with the use of certain terms or or language. Mm. And I have stood up 
to people in that situation before. You shared but, that in the podcast, I think. Yeah. Right. As a brag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, now, <laughs> um, but now this year, I find myself in a situation where I'm hearing probably more of that type of language than other years. Mm-hmm. And, and I haven't said anything. And I keep telling myself I'm going to say something, but I don't. So I won't get into the details of specifics, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess I just am confessing to not acting the way I mm. have want about. to, and the way and the way I've said I act too. Like I've yeah. bragged before that I'm not afraid to stand mm. up to people about that stuff, but lately I haven't. Mm-hmm. I've even probably laughed at some things I shouldn't have laughed at. Mm-hmm. So that's real. Very good. Yeah. Well, I remember when you shared earlier when you did sign up, I was very impressed because I don't know how I would respond in that situation. So I, I certainly don't judge that. I think that's hard. Yeah. To do. Yeah. All right. So there, that's it. That's our confessions. Well, you know, priests also have to go to confession. Ooh. We just have to go to another priest. Okay. okay. I can't well. just go in the mirror, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I should probably make a confession. Well, okay. Uh, I would say that uh, this week I was, I was fighting off a little bit of a sinus infection and I sort of relished in the opportunity to blame some of why I don't have certain things done or why I'm behind on certain things on that instead of just admitting the fact that I've procrastinated (laughs) or I gave in to wasting time online reading some useless article just out of curiosity. And it was almost like a a joy that I, I thought I had a legit excuse to, to be able to say, hey, so I've been sick this week. I haven't been able to get to X, Y, or Z, which is a true statement, but yeah. I know is not fully mm. motivated from mm. what is uh, really going on there. So so that's my yeah. confession, and I'll, wow. I'll have well, to bring real. it to my brother priest the next time yeah. I go. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks thank for, you. That's thanks a, that's for your honesty. Look yeah. at that. Is there anything you um, promote, like when we have guests, if there's something that you are doing right now that you want to draw attention to or would there be work that you're doing that people should hear about or go to? Yeah, I'd, I'd love for people to just check out what we're doing. Uh, you refer to it at the beginning in my bio as the St. Francis Xavier Chaplaincy. This is our platform in the Diocese of Calgary, the, the region of Catholic churches in Southern Alberta for outreach to university students and young adults. So we're just trying to provide uh, a central space for young adult Catholics to grow in faith, formation, and fellowship. Hmm. And so, yeah, you can check out our website at sfxc.ca or follow our social media at sfxchaplaincy on Instagram and Facebook. So nice. right keep in touch and see what we're up to. Yeah, yeah we'll share that. Yeah. Awesome. Speaking of social media, Chris... People yeah. want to get a hold of us. Maybe they want to shoot questions our way about this episode. I think they probably will. And so please email us at harmoniousgentleman at gmail.com. Yeah. Or check out our website, which is harmoniousgentleman.com. Right. Or social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. TikTok. Are you on TikTok, Tyler? I'm not. <laughs> we are not. No, no we've refused. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Resist. <laughs> All right. We'll hope to see you guys again soon mm-hmm. on The Harmonious Gentleman. Yeah. Well, that's not a question. Though. You know what it's called. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, that's thanks it. again. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thanks. It's good to be with you. So good. <laughs>